everybody. Welcome to another episode of Point Counterpoint, the only podcast that you'll never get sick of listening to. Yeah. So, what's going on with me? Well, it's finals week right now, so that should answer your question. I think that's a pretty good answer. Pretty pretty comprehensive. But yeah, it's going pretty good. You know, a lot of stuff has happened just in the world in general. Not with specific people, though, because nobody can do anything right now. Because of COVID-19. You know? But sometimes that's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. So I'm just going to try to make sure you have a little fun on this episode. That's what I'm all about. I recently heard of a certain musician. His name was Tanson. He was born sometime around 1493 to 1500 in Gwalior, India. He died the 26th of April, 1586, or the 25th of April, 1589. So he was either 92 to 93 or 95 to 96 years old. I just wanted to talk a little bit about him. So he's also referred to as Tansen or Ram Tanu, a prominent figure of Hindustani classical music. Born in a Hindu family, he learned and and perfected his art in the northwest region of modern Madhya Pradesh. He began his career and spent most of his adult life in the court and patronage of the Hindu king of Rewa, Raja Ram Chandra Singh. 1555 to 1592, as his reign, where Tansen's musical abilities and studies gained widespread fame. This reputation brought him to the attention of the Mughal Emperor Akbar, who sp- sent messages to Raja Raj- R- Ramchandra Singh, requesting Tansen to join the musicians at the Mughal court. He didn't want to go, but Raja Ramchandra Singh encouraged him to gain a wider art audience and sent him along with gifts of Akbar to Akbar. In 1562, about the age of 60, Vaishnava, musician Tansen, joined the Akbar court and his performances became subject of many court historians. Numerous legends have been written about Tansen mix, mixing facts and fiction and the historic, historicity for these stories is doubtful. Akbar considers him as one of the Navaratnas, 
or nine jewels, and gave him the title Mian, an honorific meaning learned man. Learned man. He was a composer, musician, and vocalist to whom many compositions have been attributed in northern regions of the Indian subcontinent. He was also an in instrumentalist who popularized and improved musical instruments. He's among the most influential personalities in the North Indian tradition of Indian classical music, called Hindustani. His 16th century studies in music and composition inspired many, and he is considered by numerous North Indian Garana regional musical schools as their lineage founder. Tansen is remembered for his epic Drupad compositions, creating several new ragas as for the writing two classical books on music, Sri Ganesh Stotra and Sangeeta Sara. Well, let's find out if I can find... Obviously, there's not going to be an original recording of his music, for obvious reasons, but... Maybe there's someone that plays like him. Nope. Well, that's the interesting thing about a lot of Indian classical music is they didn't really use written music. It's a lot more improvised than we do. So like in Western music, we're all about standardization and I'm going to write this song and write it down exactly how I play it so other people can make it sound exactly the same. That's not how it is in other musical traditions, where a big thing is improvisation. It's like that in jazz, to a great extent as well. Maybe not to the same extent as in Indian music. But certainly true to an extent. There's a lot of improvisation in jazz. I was just listening to this one Indian performer because I've recently kind of been getting into it a little bit. It's very beautiful music. I like it.
That's better. Well, as I was playing that song, a hummingbird flew by. It's a little little guy that's been flying around here recently. Or actually, a female, I should say. Not a guy. I made a very crucial error there. <laughs> yeah, but Indian music, I've been getting into that. I've been trying to do a little on the guitar. But you know, it's very interesting. It's this, it's this whole world. And the song I just played was by uh, his name is Sumik Dutta. He's a British Indian uh, musician. And he was playing Within You, Without You with it. It was a cover of a Beatles song. But yeah. Then, uh, think, speaking of music, it gets me thinking to, uh, recently I was listening to a podcast about, uh, the way that our society has become very separated from each other. Because we have, we've merged with our phones, really, that, you know, we've really become rather, rather atomized. And we all we all watch different movies, we listen to different music. There's not much that unites us. Really. And it's so in that way it's it's a revolution that the likes of which we've never really seen before. So Everybody's listening. I mean, you might. So it's like, for music, in the key of music, what's the music that defines our era? Is it someone like Taylor Swift? Because she certainly doesn't unite everyone. She's got fans, and she's got people that aren't fans. Is it hardcore country? I don't think so. Is it hip-hop? No. Is it some sort of techno, electronic sound? I mean, if there was an answer to this, that's probably what I would say it is, but I wouldn't, I don't think that is. I don't think there's an answer. I think the answer is none of the above. I mean, I would predict that at some point something will happen and there's going to be something uniting, but I don't, I can't say what it will be, or what that even means. But like we see it in comedy, suddenly right around now, comedians are all starting to get on board with that. Uh, certain style of comedy.
kind of an unforgiving type of comment. This is the way I'm going to do it. If you don't. If you don't believe I should be doing this, then I'm going to teach you, I'm going to show you why you're wrong. And why it's a messed up opinion. Well, that's all I have to say about that. Next, I wanted to talk about another, well, it's another story. Story time, everybody. From the Storyteller series that I've talked about before. And this story is called The Zap Sorrow. Once was a princess. She lived with her sisters. her father, the king, and one day the, the, the lover of the king ran off and couldn't come back, so, and she left behind a shoe, and the, the king was trying to find Who it is by tr try putting the shoe on to different people, and she put it on to all sorts of people, and it ended up. Oh, and it was a ring. It was a ring, not a shoe. And all the sisters are looking, and they're goofing around, and one of the girls, uh, the most attractive of all the daughters, just kind of jokes around, puts the ring on, and it fits, and they can't get it off. And the king sees what's happened, and the law states that whoever wears that ring, he has to marry. Of course, he's horrified by this. He doesn't want to marry his daughter, but the law states it, and he must do it. And so she keeps delaying the wedding, and she asks for all these different things. Things that she would think would be much more difficult to obtain than they ended up being. But eventually the king found them. And she ended up running away. And because she had broken this promise. She was transformed into a horrible looking ugly beast by day. And... As this beast, she worked in a different castle where there was a prince there, and this prince was awful to her. He'd kick her around and everything. But at night, she would transform back into her usual beautiful self, and she would actually go to these balls with the prince, and the prince fell in love with her, with her, her true beautiful self. But she would always have to leave at midnight. And he would try to follow her sometimes, and he never caught her. At one point, she left behind one of her shoes. The 
prince decided this is his chance to find his love. He agrees that whoever puts on this shoe, if it's, he will marry. So all the women come around and they try on the shoe. Doesn't fit. At one point, uh, a woman put on the shoe and it seemed to fit, but really it, she was just, it really didn't. She was stuffing her foot in in such a way to make it look like it fit. Even the... Ooh, hornet. Ooh. Anyway. Hold on a second. Yeah, keep an eye on him. He wants to get out. Anyway, where was I? So. The, the poor, the poor girl goes up and she, so it, even her sisters, her old sisters had come to try, try to marry this prince and it didn't work. And the girl, she goes over to the shoe and everybody is laughing at her. But at this point, the prince is just exhausted. He goes, go ahead, put on the shoe. It obviously wasn't going to work. She put on the shoe, and it fit. And the prince was a man of his word. He agreed to marry her. And she, of course, would marry him. Is at this moment, when they had both stayed true to their promise, that she was transformed back into her beautiful self, and he saw that it was her. They got married. Now this is, a, is an example of a story with a moral. Most stories have morals, actually. I must say. But this one has a quite explicit moral. Which is the importance of keeping your promises. Now, I'm not saying that she should have kept that original promise of marrying her own father. I mean, there's some things that maybe you that you probably shouldn't keep. Okay, I am not I'm not advocating for. That. But you know what I mean. 
Yeah. All right, next subject. Dream talk. Eh, eh. So I recently had a very interesting dream. And uh, it included... I found out... It, it, I didn't find out. It was something that in the dream I had known. But in this dream, there was another Alaska. The exact same shape. It was about the same size. Looked like looked like Alaska. And more or less the center of the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, it was still part of the original Alaska, even though it was separated by thousands of miles. It was still bought during Seward's Folly, which is how Alaska was originally bought. And I remember thinking, wow, that's interesting. You can go into the Mediterranean and suddenly be on American soil again, and it looks like Alaska. That's just an interesting dream I had. I heard uh, another dream. I'm not going to say the name of the person. I don't want to call him out. But, like, one of the most memorable for me. I was on my bed playing with a fox, and the fox was chatting with me about a strain of coronavirus found in dogs. I was trying to be kind and use good listening skills, but I was too distracted by, the, by thoughts like, do foxes have rational souls? How come foxes are so much more intelligent than dogs? <laughs> or another one, uh, this person and their friend hired a French tutor for online French lessons, and the tutor wanted to be their friend and added them on Facebook. That's, that's the whole thing. I didn't say that was an exciting story. <laughs> but dreams are crazy. Dreams are absolutely insane. Yeah. Oh, um, what else happened? So, it was yesterday that it was the 61st birthday of Israel Ka'ano Ikamakawi Wo'ole. And you would know him as the Hawaiian guy that sang Somewhere Over the Rainbow. But yeah, great singer. In fact, In fact, hold on a moment. Okay, so I said, Gabby.
trouble melts like lemon drops high above the chimney top that's where you find me oh somewhere over the rainbow bluebirds fly and the dream that you did in the sky also on the faces of people passing by I see friends shaking and singing how do you do they really say I I love you I hear babies cry and I watch them grow they'll learn much more like a lemon drops high above the chimney top that's where you find me oh somewhere over the rainbow way up high and the dream that you did to All right, wasn't that amazing? Yeah. He's amazing. He's great. Yeah. Now I want to bring up a very different topic. Question. 
question is, are human beings truly conscious? Are human beings truly conscious? I would say the answer is yes, but maybe not always when we think they are. For example, there's lots of instances when consciousness is not required. And it seems like we think we're conscious. We really aren't necessarily. For example, does it really take me to be conscious? To say, to look over at a plant, and, or look over at an apple, and say, apple. Because what's happening is the components of the object are reaching my retina, going back to my visual cortex and my occipital lobe. And right now it's at a lower level processing center in the brain where it, it goes with a different schema of what I know to be Apple's schema and memories telling me this is an apple. Now, because I'm not saying that I am seeing that. There's no self in there. It's just an entity sees an apple. If I were to say I am looking at an apple, now that's, you're talking about me, you're talking about yourself in relation to the apple, and that requires higher order thinking in the prefrontal cortex. Also, Let's say it wasn't even an apple. Let's say it was a pear, but I didn't. I don't know what a pear is. I look at it. It looks like what I've seen when I see apples. You know, it's kind of it's a roundish fruit. I know pears are more oblong, but it's somewhat round. It's got the general kind of shape. It's got a little stem coming out of it. It's yellow, and you know I've seen yellow apples, but maybe I haven't seen a pear. And someone tells me, no, that's a pear. Now I have to update my schema. Now I would argue that's more conscious. You add to your memories and now it's in your memory bank. Now when you see a pair in the future, you'll be able to quickly go, that's a pair, not an apple. I'm looking at a pair. be interesting to have a guest on right now to talk about that. But yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> I think that'll be enough for today, folks. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to this. Whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Castbox, Anchor, Pocket Casts, which used to be my sponsor. 
it's been it's been lit fam namaste